Welcome to the files of the AYR, yaoihunters.com. ABC Catalyst program aired a segment on the Yowie in June 2002. The location was Hazelbrook, and then home of a Yowie dubbed Fatfoot. Fatfoot was an unusual Yowie. Why? Because he had an interest in humans, and he liked to pit his skills against ours in the way of games. If I had the equipment I have today back then, the mind boggles of how easily obtainable the footage would have been. He was the Yowie who originally taught me of their knowledge about how blind humans are at night, and boy did he work it. But we'll get back to Fatfoot another time. In this video we see a friend of mine who sadly passed away in 2018, aged 90. Anthropologist Dr. Helmut Lufswissower from the ANU. One of the few Australian academics who dared to step out of the box, declaring his belief in plausibility of the Yowie. In fact, he took it a few steps further. He focused much of his time and research on the Orang Pendek of Indonesia, a five-foot hominid that had been reported by locals for hundreds of years. I remember during a late-night phone conversation with Helmut, I asked his opinion of how and why the Yowie could smell as reported. He replied, Because the Yowie has hair on the bottom. When it defecates, the feces get caught in the hair, and he does not clean himself properly. Interesting theory. He could pull skeptics apart like peeling a banana. Anthropologist, author, and colleague of Helmets, Dr. Alan Thorne from the ANU, sadly also passed away in 2012, aged 73, is in this program with supporting comments. Now he states, It's those who go outside the envelope who produce the goods. How true, sir. How true. The latter part of this video focuses on the so-called tree bites. This, in particular, I need to focus on. Many people are misled on this topic, so let's set it straight. In my early days of Hazelbrook, I, like many other people, was sucked into the belief of this being Yowie-related. It wasn't until I used my own mind rather than being swept along with the tide of gullibility, or more so, popular opinion that I knew that this would be highly unlikely and unrealistic. For something as large as a Yowie to expand all his time and effort, damaging his teeth and gums, and you could just imagine how cut up his mouth would be from all those splinters, just for one grub? I don't think so. Not when you can tap a kangaroo on the head for a more substantial meal in less time. It makes no sense. Eventually, I was finding these so-called tree bites from ground level to 10 metres, 30 feet high, in trees that wouldn't even take the weight of a yowie. I was also, and importantly, observing talon marks on nearly every tree surrounding these bites. When a cockatoo lands on the side of the tree, 
he will dig his talons into the side of the tree to hold himself in place. While in Hazelbrook on expedition a few years ago, I caught this guy who'd swooped down ahead of me on a track and did this within a matter of seconds. And there's this. I think I can safely say, case closed. During the program, I don't believe the suggestion made by a certain person that these were made at night. I doubt anyone was out there watching a particular tree at daybreak or just before dusk. It's an unrealistic claim. That aside, on a brighter note, the Yowie activity at this location at the time was very real, and I was fortunate enough to observe and interact with him firsthand on more than one occasion. But again, I'll tell you about that another time. Enjoy the video. Yetis, Yowies, Bigfoot, we've all heard the stories of large, hairy, men-like creatures roaming through the bush. What we want to know is, what's really behind these mysterious sightings? In Australia, big hairy men are known as Yowies. Here in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney, Neil claims to have had over 300 encounters with Yowies over the last decade. The closest I've been probably is about six foot. Yeah, so eerie experience. Many of his neighbours have also had encounters. Neil and a friend, having heard the sound of footsteps in the bush, decided to follow. Where I got close to where I thought it was last standing, I turned to Robert and said, I think it's somewhere around here, just be careful, I'm going to turn the light and see what happens. And without knowing it, the thing had been so close to me, and it stood up directly in front of me, slightly to the side, leant towards me and just roared in my face. The only thing I really remember was the basic outline, its height, uh, the, the red eyes, because they had the torch shining at it, or above its head, and it was black skin. That way, I can... Neil and his neighbours have had hundreds of encounters with Yowies and gone looking for evidence of their movements. He claims these deep gouges are made by Yowies biting into trees in search of grubs. Once again, notice the, the consistent height, six foot above the ground. Uh, canine tear through here. Mm-hmm. And you've got tear marks through the hardwood timbers gone right down through the, mm -hmm. through the tree. And how many of these are there around here? In this immediate area here alone, there's, there's over 300 of them. And it's not just Australians who are reporting encounters with wild men and women. Dr. Helmut Lusvisova is an anthropologist who's catalogued similar reports from around the world, particularly Vietnam and Laos. I came across this wild man phenomenon there and I eventually found out that that was really a, a worldwide phenomenon. This is a drawing of a wild man supposedly found in Vietnam. When Helmut showed it to villagers in Laos, they identified it as a creature they'd seen in their forests. Helmut believes these creatures are Neanderthal men living in remote areas and he thinks they're being dismissed too readily. You say, I've seen one, you're lying. You must be lying because they don't exist. Not everyone is so sceptical. Anthropologist Alan Thorne thinks mavericks like Helmut are crucial to the progress of science. It's the person who's gone outside the envelope 
um, who produces the goods. I mean, lots of people do and fail. And as we look back in science, um, you know, there are these these magical people that we who at the time were mavericks, idiots, um, you know, way off the loony tunes. Um, but but the ones who find the goods and prove the theory are the ones we say fantastic. But maverick or not, neither Helmut, Neil, or anybody else for that matter, has come up with incontrovertible physical evidence that yowers exist. Here's Neil's evidence, but does it constitute hard data? Well, this one here is an original footprint, very wide across the top here, very small heel, and a large toe and a group of lesser toes to the side. But he admits that the evidence he's collected so far is ambiguous. So why is there nothing more concrete? It's difficult for me to explain because I have a problem with that too. I honestly do. I, 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 I find it disappointing that we don't find enough of it. What about the bite marks? Don't they constitute evidence? We took Richard Turner, a specialist in damage various animals do to trees, to have a look at the bite marks with Neil. What do you think about it? Yes, well this to me is quite clearly a... Uh, track from a uh, bullseye borer that's been uh, torn open by uh, a yellow-tailed black cockatoo. I would find it rather difficult for a yellow-tailed cockatoo to get a firm hold onto this to, to bite through it without leaving some sort of damage on the trunk. Now that, because there's no damage on here, would suggest to me that whatever did this was ground dwelling. Uh, there is damage. You can see tiny little bits of bark there and nice. there. Tiny little bits of bark have been moved. Mm. And these critters, when they uh, grab, have got claws that have to dig in to support a large bird. One problem for Neil with the black cockatoo theory is he's convinced that some of these marks were made at night. So in other words, unless um, yellow-tailed black cockatoos are nocturnal, something else did it. In my experience, uh, they are uh, diurnal. They would go to rest to roost at uh, night. Um, so the midnight theory is interesting. Perhaps there's another explanation for experiences with mysterious monsters. Perhaps it's a case of mistaken identity. Eyewitnesses in general are often very fallible. They're doing their best to tell us what they really saw, but we know that people's memories and their perceptions are quite fallible. Psychologists believe that when we get fleeting glimpses of something, our mind fills in the gaps. What we interpret it to be is moulded by our expectations. People have an expectation that it's out there, be it ambiguous or blurry or seen at night or very fast moving. It can be very minimal, but that little tiny bit of something people can latch on to and say, well, if they have a strong expectation, they can end up seeing it in very different kinds of ways than it was. But Neil is not convinced by this explanation. Well, for the vast number of encounters we've had with something standing up in front of you and roaring your face, something you've seen um, running through the bush ahead of you, being involved with a large number of people who have also experienced the same thing, either simultaneously or different times, uh, that's not the case. Clearly, I think um, we're not imagining this thing. Whether these creatures are really roaming through the bush remains to be seen, but the pattern of evidence suggests that Yowies do not exist. However, Alan Thorne warns against being too sceptical. There in the totally searched out Blue Mountains west of Sydney, there suddenly pops up 
the uh, the Wallamai pine. I mean, it's a new, I think, a new family of, of trees. Uh, so it's a warning that uh, we don't know everything and maybe there are still quite a lot of surprises out there. So, and if, they, if those turn out to include hairy men, then so be it. Facts are facts. I've seen it with my own eyes and I can safely say it's a black cockatoo. Thanks for watching.